Welcome to the People's Stories, where together we amplify the voices of the people. This show is all about uncovering the stories behind people's experiences and learning about how they got to where they are in life, wherever they are in their life or journey. This show also puts a spotlight on the stories and experiences of people from marginalized groups. These stories are often untold or unknown. These are stories of overcoming, stories of struggle, stories of success and excellence, and stories of failures. If you want to share your story and be on the show, you can find the different ways to connect with me in the description for this podcast. So let me set the scene for you so that you can understand the, let's call it, unique setting of where this episode took place on my end. So here it is. Let's start with the fact that I'm in the car. It's the dead of summer, so it's already hot. And on top of that, it's midday and the sun is out, blazing hot. And at this point, I might as well be in a sauna with the level of humidity in this car. And here I am, sitting inside this car, windows up and sealed shut, and the car is also turned off to avoid the sound of the air conditioning. And you would have thought, I just got out the shower the way I am wet with sweat inside this car. And this is all because Google told me that if I wanted good audio while using my phone as a mic, the ideal place to record is inside the car. So there I was, but the catch is, It was all worth it for this episode, minus my phone overheating, which caused dicey audio at points where I had to disconnect from the guest and reconnect back. It was all worth it because I had some great conversation on this episode. So let's get it started. So today I have a guest on the episode who's going to be talking about being Black in tech and being black in Silicon Valley. Um, her name is Tosin and we briefly spoke before this episode and she told me a little bit about how her journey to the tech industry is very unorthodox. So I'm looking to delve a little deeper into that, get her experience on what it's like being black in the tech field and how other black people can really break into this field and also talk to her about her experience in the U.S. as someone who is from outside of the U.S., from the U.K. So we have a lot to talk about, um, and I'm excited to delve deeper into all of those topics. Welcome, Tosin. Thank you. Thank you for a kind, warm welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Now, if you could just tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are right now. So Tell me about where you are right now and what led up to you being here. Sure. Um, so I'll give you the abbreviated version. Um, I'm currently in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. Um, and this is where I've been for the last, uh, I guess, two, three years now. Um, prior to that, I was in New York and I had an opportunity to transfer with the company I work for out to California and as a Londoner who didn't get much sunshine in um, their life, I thought, yes, I'm, I'm there. The sunshine was the winner. Um, and prior to me coming to the US, I grew born, raised in uh, London. And so there I worked in the music industry predominantly and kind of started to make small transitions into media tech, um, but nothing as hardcore as Silicon Valley. And um, yeah, so that's that's the abbreviated version of how I got here. Great. What, what exactly were you doing in the music industry? And were you working in the music industry when you were in New York? Or was that just what you were doing in the UK before you came over to the US? Yeah, so I actually have touched upon a few different industries. So I graduated in uh, law. We're able to do law degrees as undergrad in the UK. So I did a undergraduate degree 
And then the day of my final exam, I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. It was the height of the recession. And I realized quickly that there was no opportunities to become an entertainment lawyer in the UK, mainly because um, you have to do training contracts and they were minimizing them as, you know, recession really allowed for a lot of cutbacks. So on the day of my last exam, I didn't know what I wanted to do in music, but I kind of just reached out to, I think, about 50 companies just cold emails oh and just goodness. say, hey, I'm willing to intern throughout the summer. I don't know what I would be doing, but I'm happy to intern. I, I, I really want to work in the music industry. I had no idea of what I would be doing, but one company out of 50, I think maybe two companies actually reached back out, but one of them that did reach out was a PR company in the middle of London they said, sure, come in. And so that was a PR agency mainly. And so there I did some PR for um, the likes of uh, Foreign Exchange. If you know your music, Foreign Exchange, Faith Evans, um, oh, okay. Tiny Temper. And so there was a couple, I was obviously an intern and doing copying and data entry, but I got a chance to see how it works from end to end. And so I obviously just used that as a pit stop and kept on applying to other music jobs now that I started to understand, okay, what could I do? And so I managed to get another internship in studio, Metropolis Studios, um, which is known mainly for uh, recordings from the Beatles and uh, Lady Gaga and all sorts of other artists. And so I did a, uh, internship there as well and that was a marketing internship and that's when I was like yeah I like marketing this is what I I feel like I'm good at um and then I hopped over to EMI record label at at the um, end of that internship and so at EMI I stayed there for three years um and I was a marketing junior marketing executive there and um at that time EMI was known for being the the label for Spice Girls, the Beatles, um, Iron Maiden, you know, just tons. And then the modern artists were like Snoop Dogg, David Guetta, Katy Perry, Coldplay. So I had really great opportunities to work on all of those, uh, with all of those artists. And um, I, I guess over the three years, I was just like, okay, what, what would come next? Um, and I couldn't, really see the future being in CDs and selling CDs. And despite the fact that everyone in the company was like, no, CDs will forever be around. I was just looking at me and my friends, like we don't buy CDs. We, we love being in like the events. We love going to the concerts, the festivals. We do not spend money on CDs. And so at that time there was a small account um, called Spotify uh, that came, you know, landed on the, the big wigs execs desk and nobody really wanted to take it. Uh, they were like, oh, what is this digital <laughs> random Swedish company? And I was like, hey, I'll, I'll work with them. Um, and so I worked with Spotify and that just led me to realize, no, this tech thing is really gonna work and we will not be buying CDs in the few in a few years. And so it's just, having that exposure to working with Spotify allowed me to take my next move, which was more with a small startup who was trying to do, uh, you know, digital entertainment. So live streams um, for people who couldn't attend the concerts. And so I got to work with Spotify again and, you know, all the other brands that I worked with. Um, but I still felt like I could do more in tech and be more core tech. I was still known pretty much in London as, as a music uh, girl. So I decided to do an MBA, which was very random for anyone coming from the music industry. Um, and I ended up getting into a great program uh, in Cornell. It was uh, specifically focused on tech. So Cornell Tech in New York City. And that's where I got the opportunity 
to really delve deep into everything technical um, or any kind of tech role. And the, the, the role that felt best suited to me was product manager because of the marketing experience I had, because of the user experience um, that I had. And I felt like I could still apply some technical uh, skills to, to that role. So that's my journey to tech, which is very, very different to majority of uh, people that I've met. I've, I've met a lot of product managers. I'm yet to find someone who has uh, the experience that I've had. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, no, that's a story for, like, the fact that this all started out by you emailing 50 companies and one thing led to another, which led to another. And it was just two, you said only two out of the 50 companies reached back out to you, right? Yeah, I think two of them. Um, but the one that I, I reached back out to both of them, but I guess the second one just didn't really respond as quickly. And the first one was like, yeah, come in next week. So, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it, I, I definitely think that was a big risk, but I didn't know what else I was going to do. I didn't want to be a corporate lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only thing that I could think of is just drop the law and just go into entertainment. So I'm here listening to the interview again, and one of the many things that stands out to me is that Tosin said she sent out emails or applied to 50 companies and just two responded. But one of those two that responded materialized and assisted in leading her to discover the tech industry for herself, which then snowballed into a bunch of different opportunities. And it really made me think, what if she stopped at email or application 48 and it would have been the 49th and 50th company to get back to her what if halfway through her application process or her email process she started doubting herself because she wasn't seeing any responses and it made me think about the importance of continuing to push even if you're not seeing results at that moment because your opportunity will eventually come One thing, too, is the idea of how fast the tech world moves. So listening to your story, it makes me think about how sometimes tech can seem very intimidating because it seems like the learning curve is so high and it's hard to it's a hard field. It seems like a hard field to transition into. So how did you find that transition when you went over and did your MBA and you said it was very tech focused. Did you find it hard to um, adapt to the industry or were you already very familiar with it because of your experience from Spotify? And I know I'm talking more about that core tech. How did you find that transition? Yeah, it's definitely a learning curve. I mean, like any industry, it has its jargon, it has its um, ways, its mannerisms. I think the benefit I had probably was prior to me studying law I actually wanted to be a journalist so I've been all over the place so I wanted to be a journalist I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer okay dropped the law got into entertainment then moved to tech and for me in each of those iterations I had a learning curve so I was used to oh okay don't be intimidated by you know, people who may have been in this for their entire lives, you have been a career switcher, but sometimes that's a benefit because you you learn how to speak to different people. And also, I think if I wasn't a product manager, maybe the uh, benefit of not, like, as a product manager, you basically have to translate to many different audiences. And sometimes highly technical language is not what people need. So if I'm talking to somebody in customer service, actually they want the plain English version because they're, they're translating that to users who also want the plain English version. So I, I, I definitely think there is a learning curve, um, but if you just break it down and realize that it's just another industry with its own language and once you understand that language you can be a part of the conversation you know um I've never had to 
you know, I've never came to anyone and said I'm a technical, you know, engineer or anyone with a background in technical languages, like I'm not a coder. And I think when you're just super transparent about what you know and what you don't know, you can avoid feeling that intimidation. So I did go into my MBA like, hey, I'm super non-traditional. I'm, you know, I've been doing this the last four or five years or whatever. And I'm not going to pretend that I understand all the technical things. And so once I put that on the table, it was a lot easier to have uh, conversations and to have learnings. Okay, so remember how at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that I was recording in a car sealed shut, sun out, blazing hot, probably 40 degrees plus, and that's Celsius, I'm Canadian, which I think translates into, I don't know, 100 degrees Fahrenheit plus, and I was sweating bullets. Well, yeah, my phone also started to overheat and act up, which made audio a little bit dicey. So that's this upcoming part, but it does get better because I end up disconnecting and connecting back and the audio smooths out. So just ride with me during this rough patch. And why did you choose um, Cornell for your MBA? Is it that you wanted to make that transition to come to the U.S. or was it more so the program itself? So I will be totally honest. I was actually never looking at USA. I was definitely never looking at Cornell. And it's very strange how I guess things happen in my life at times, but I was looking at uh, two main schools, one in the UK and one in France at the time. And I knew I wanted to be a uh, product manager, felt like the best fit for me. And so I reached out to a lot of the alumni of those two schools. I you know, did my due diligence to find out how the program was and so forth. And then for some weird reason I, I don't know what email list I was on but I got an email um, promoting Cornell Tech and the program in New York and the deadline was in like three weeks or no two weeks or something like that and so um, they were actually at the time offering free application like wavering the application fee and so I applied randomly um after the deadline actually I actually missed the deadline I replied after the deadline um didn't think anything of it I kind of did it more as a test like because I had never submitted an MBA application so I just wanted to see like okay maybe I might need to tweak my essays so for me it was more of a test um ended up getting an interview and getting in um and had to basically change my life around in three weeks uh, so quit my job, you know, moved to America within those three weeks before school starts. So, but when I was looking at the program, I did think, wow, this is such a cool program. Um, it's super technical. It's got the elements of, you know, whether you want to start your own company, your own tech startup, or whether you want to work in in the tech industry, it had all those different elements. It had a lot of contacts. Our professors were, you know, VCs or people who have worked in big tech companies for years. And so I did think it was a super cool program. I just don't know why I thought I wouldn't get in. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe I would uh, be too late because like I said, I, I applied after the deadline. Um, but yeah, I guess they were, looking to diversify the class and um you know my my profile was definitely not one that was was there before so throughout the interview Tosin has mentioned that product manager was the role in the tech industry that best suited her skill set now I'm someone who is on the outside looking in on the tech industry so I have no clue what a product manager does, what a product manager is, and all these different roles within the tech industry. So I had to ask, what exactly is a product manager? Four years into this job, 
I don't think even my family understands I do, but I'm a product manager at Yahoo Sports, which is an app and a website. And I would say a product manager is basically the one that is coming up with ideas, coming up with strategies and putting the user first, essentially. And so it's daily speaking to engineers about, okay, this is the things that I'm thinking about. This is what I want us to build and speaking to the engineers about how they can actually do that. It's design, it's working with design and trying to get your idea out of the product manager's mind and put it on, you know, some sort of visual so that people can understand what you want. It's working with um, user experience teams to ensure that what you, what you as a product manager want to build is even plausible or at least even makes sense to a user. So we do a lot of user studies and testing. It's working with marketing to ensure that the product gets out to the right audiences and that you target the right people. It's everything along the chain from beginning to end. And so a product manager, I know when I was in uh, business school, they often referred to it as like the mini CEO of the product. I don't really necessarily like that title because it sounds like a dictatorship a little bit, but it's more of collaborations with everyone and just making sure that the ship keeps moving. It definitely is a multifaceted role. It, it's It's got its highs, it, but it's definitely got some lows. Um, you're probably never off the clock as, as you know, your product could have an issue at 3 a.m. in the morning um, and, you know, you have to find solutions to that. So, or at least get the right people to find solutions to that. That So uh, it's that's how I explain it. But like I said, I've been in this role for a few years and I don't think my family understand what I do. So um, it's it's... If you know, you know, I guess, in that <laughs> sense. What I want to talk about next is your perspective on diversity in the tech industry um, and talk a little bit about why you're an advocate for Black people in tech. Yeah, sure. Um, so as we all know, it's been widely, widely advertised that, you know, the tech industry is not that diverse. Um, I can't remember the exact figures, but I know over the years, huge tech companies have been found out, I would say, that they have like 2%, 3% Black employees or even lower numbers for Latino employees as well. And so oftentimes I thought, no, it really can't be that bad, but it is that bad. Like the fact that these products that we are all using, the Ubers of the world, the Googles of the world, et cetera, they're used by millions, if not billions um, across the globe. And that, their workforce is not a representative of that is kind of an issue, you know, it's disturbing. And so oftentimes the, the conversation is focused on engineers, um, more black engineers, which is definitely a conversation needed. And so the likes of, um, you know, NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers and um, even Afrotech, I know they've been really pushing for more Black engineers. But I'm very critical of vanity metrics or vanity um, success. So I've seen the few, last few years, yes, now there are more Black people in um, tech companies, but yet they are stuck in junior positions or they are, you know, Grad, new new fresh grad um, engineers and unfortunately there's still a hierarchy in a company no matter how flat every tech company likes to say they are they're still a company they still have shareholders they still have uh, a bottom line and so I feel like the vanity metrics of entry-level roles in engineering 
um, has been muddled with success and progress. And actually, when you just look at the C-suite of most tech companies, VPs of most tech companies, directors at most tech companies, managers of most tech companies, they are not representing um, people of color. So I think the last few years I've really, as I've been climbing up the ladder, I have been very vocal, um, both internally at work and externally that, hey, we need more black people in tech across the board. Um, it's not just going to a HBCU and hiring some engineers. That is valid and that is still needed, but we also need the managers. We need the directors. We need the pipeline uh, that every other um, race gets, I guess. And so I don't really see that enough in, in with black people. And so, I think the recent social um, outrage, particularly after George Floyd's um, murder, Breonna Taylor's murder, um, has ignited that conversation again. And I hope these, this time it's, it's meaningful. I've seen a lot of tech companies actually mention that they are encouraging you know, certain targets that they want to hit or that they um, have made some readjustments and they've, they've moved certain, you know, black people in, in tech up. And I, I often talk about black people because that's who I am. I'm a black woman. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, I don't know if it's always my place or I have as much um, insight into other diverse groups, but I can speak definitely as a black woman. And I, as I mentioned, as I went through the muddle of what a product manager does, you heard the the phrase that um, I mentioned was that when the ideas come from the product manager, they are facilitated and um, executed by the rest of the team. And so I really do speak about black product managers a lot. Like the product manager role is not necessarily looking like me. Um, Oftentimes it's, you know, a white male who has, has glorified products and who has made products like this really intense um, and intimidating role to take on. And so oftentimes people steer away from it when in actual fact, yes, it is a big role and so forth, but it's no bigger than any other role that is also difficult and also has its challenges. So we should definitely see, um, and I would love to see more black people in product manager roles just because of all the decision making you have to make um and oftentimes that's when you see a product get dragged <laughs> on twitter or something because right, they right. didn't have a diverse team in the room or and if you even track back sometimes they didn't even have well oftentimes they never had a black product manager and some of those issues could be avoided if you have a diverse product team um because you will you'll recognize certain things um, before maybe the white male counterpart who's not got the same story as someone else. So I, I urge anyone who even has an inkling of like, hey, maybe I wanna get into tech. I always open my um, calendar up to just speaking to anyone for 15 minutes, just to be like, hey, I know you might have these um, concerns, but you can overcome them. You can, this is the way I did it, um, or this is the way someone else did it. But I, I just love to see a more balanced, um, balanced product teams in different companies. Yeah, no, I love so much about what you just said. And when you're talking about some of those products that have negative backlash, sometimes I'm just thinking to myself, wow, you know, you could have really saved all of this bad press if you just had some diversity on your team. Um, so it's almost something humorous to me where it's like, this could really have been avoided. And I also like the fact that you talk about the levels of where Black people are in these organizations. And a lot of times the metrics are very broad-based. And when you go on a website, one thing I do often is a lot of companies will talk about how they are all about diversity they'll talk about their metrics like you say and when you look at the leadership page you see 
only white people, just all white men yeah. on the leadership page. So it's really important to go a little bit deeper and get that diversity at each step, get those black voices at each step of the rank. So I think that's really important. And one thing for you is you mentioned that you have been able to progress um, in your field and in your industry. Um, I think you said Yahoo Sports, right? Was Did you progress at Yahoo Sports or have you switched around companies? And really the question that I'm getting at is, how did you do it? What were some of the tactics you used? And what are some tips you would give to another Black person looking to really rise up in the ranks at a tech company? Yeah, um, so all my working history in America has actually been at one company, which is Verizon. Um, many people don't know Verizon has uh, media uh, brands. And so they bought Yahoo, Huffington Post, um, at a time we had Tumblr, we also own TechCrunch and Gadget. So there's a bunch of media brands that Verizon own. So even though I started out in core Verizon, mainly working on like 5G initiatives, I, as I mentioned, transferred out to California and that's where I've been working on um, a lot of Yahoo products. I've worked on a brand new product that, um, that got launched. And then I also worked on Yahoo News for a while and then um, most recently Yahoo Sports. So I've definitely seen um, a few different brands within the company. And yeah, that helped with moving up the ranks. But I also think what has helped is just being completely honest about where I want to go. I've always been very ambitious. Um, probably one of the reasons why I left the music industry is because everyone sits in the same role for about 20 years and it didn't feel like there was much uh, movement that I could gain. Um, and so I, with every manager, have been very honest, like, hey, I, you know, left my home country to come to this country <laughs> to achieve everything that I possibly could achieve. And so um I think that honesty has sometimes been uh, beneficial to me, to be honest, like I, I haven't, and it's a different approach to what I honestly have taken ever in my life. I, in the UK, I was pretty much like, you know, you just wait for the promotions or you wait for the feedback or you wait for, you know, any kind of positive news to come your way. But something must have clicked for me when I was in Cornell, but I, I just thought, hey, I just can't waste time just waiting. So I've been very transparent about, hey, I want to move up the ranks or I want to take that really difficult project or I want to move to this team so I can gain these skills. And I think oftentimes, um, generally, we just don't do that. Um, we kind of wait mm -hmm. for the procedure to happen yeah. rather than us taking taking the um, the initiative to do it ourselves. So I use my one-on-ones very frequently to express those issues or those concerns. And I ask for transparency on, you know, what's the leveling? I, I often tell people who are moving to tech, like really find out about the leveling in that company so that you can understand where you are and where you need to go or where you want to go. And so um, that coupled with obviously just working and, and, showcasing and shouting about my work I'm not always the best at that I'm trying to be better but sometimes you do have to shout about your work because especially as a black woman sometimes you can get you know missed in the in the um success and so people don't attribute the success necessary to a black woman they often you know stereotypically would say it was someone else um and so I've had to be very, I guess, honest and, and self-promoting a little bit of, hey, I worked on this and that's what I did. I, this is how I contributed to this project or this is how I worked with this team. So I think those things have helped. Um, but even with all of that, like I said, you still have to do the work and, and do the work well. And so I try to ensure that that's 
something I do and and own up to the mistakes that I do make you know be like you know what I did I, I made that mistake and I I think just trying to be honest and transparent is basically the thread that runs throughout you know I'm not always good at every part of my job so I try to be honest about that and grow you know yeah no that that makes sense and what helped you what clicked really to switch you from you were saying when you were in the UK you weren't really the type to just straight up ask for it and um really demand where you expect to be but when you got to the US and in this industry you have become very vocal what do you think was the thing that made that click and I'm asking because a lot of people just in general um could develop this imposter syndrome especially for someone who has had an unorthodox path to this industry where maybe they would be more inclined to wait for that promotion or wait for someone to recognize them. And on top of that, being Black and being a Black woman, sometimes asking for what you really want might be seen in a negative light. So what was it that clicked and made you realize, hey, the only way I'm going to get what I want is by straight up asking for it, being honest and being transparent? Ooh, packed question. Um, so I think partly in the UK is cultural, um, just not to rock the boat. I think that's just a culture thing in the UK. So it was never presented to me that I should, you know, speak up and speak out. But when I got to uh, Cornell, I remember meeting with um, the... A career advisor and just you know mingling with my peers and stuff and I, I guess being the only black woman in my class definitely made me realize oh okay I'm different cool <laughs> we we know I'm different cool um let me just move past this and so in the recruitment season I realized how aggressive people were with their resumes and how aggressive they were with their achievements and I, I think my career advisor at the time said, hey, you have such a great background. You just don't shout about it enough. And that could hinder you getting a great job. And that's when I thought, wait, this is this is really now like how my life could change. Right. And so I kind of need to step up to the plate and speak about the achievements that I have had and speak about the work that I've had before um honestly and and proudly and not shy away from you know speaking about these things because that's what I've been used to in the UK so with that being said like knowing that I had to get a job I got into the habit of speaking up about oh this is what I've done the last six seven years or whatever and I think it just continued from there within Verizon because um it's a huge company and you can get lost in the source. You can get lost in the, in the, in the huge company vibe. And I, I, I know that, you know, we all feel imposter syndrome at times, but I just try to move past imposter syndrome and just embrace the difference. I'm different. It's okay. We're all meant to be different. We're not all meant to be the same. We're not meant to all be cookie cutter, um, you know, with our experiences. So, why not embrace a difference and add a different element um, and a different viewpoint? And actually that has been beneficial over my time in the company because, you know, people might bring me into conversations because I have a different viewpoint or I come from a different um, aspect to maybe someone else. So sometimes what we think are our weaknesses can be our biggest strengths. And so I would urge anyone who's maybe feeling that or fearing that, to just look at what they have to offer and and think about how you can just package that and really give that to people. Because sometimes they don't know that they need it, but when it arrives, it's the right thing. Have you seen a positive change when it comes to Black people in tech, either if it's in your organization specifically or 
outside of your organization in the industry overall? Have you at least seen some positive changes being made? You mean since um, George Floyd's murder or just in the past? Prior? It could be prior. It could even be in the last few months. Because like you said, I know that over the past few months since um, the George Floyd murder, there has been a lot of activity picking up steam. Um, but maybe you could talk about before that. Has there been improvements or is it more of a after that George Floyd, after the George Floyd murder, everyone, the light bulb was turned on, which I think seems to be a theme across a bunch of industries. But um, yeah, the before and after, what, what yeah. your perspective on that? Um, I think before it was just a, a conversation, you know, um, I feel like it was a slow burning converse- conversation maybe some uh, it's hard to tell from you know externally in different companies but at least here in the bay area there is a lot of black people in tech um you know that i've met i don't know if the percentages increased dramatically i i don't think they did because oftentimes tech companies are apprehensive of actually sharing workforce data um but just from the little intelligence that we get through articles and reports it seems like it's it's still dwindling (laughs) um and then after in the last few months since we've been in lockdown I think there has been a a definite definitely ignition of this conversation it's come more to the forefront for many companies you know I've been following a lot of different Instagram handles and um, articles where they're sharing, you know, all their mandates that they're promising for the next year or so or the next five years. And I think it's too soon to say if there's been any significant change because we've only had a few months and most people are still in their homes working. So I do think uh, we should revisit this question in like a year or two just to see where the real change is. And for me, it's not about, like I said, the vanity numbers of how many black people you have in the company. It's about where do those black people sit? Like in what teams and departments? Are they in technical roles? Are they in human resource roles? Are they in marketing roles? Because I think that also makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And then again, where the black people are leveled. um, If, you know, 100% of the new black hires are all at junior level um, roles. That for me doesn't necessarily determine success. It determines, yes, movement and progress, but I would love to see more at the forefront in technical roles, um, CEOs, CPOs, which is chief product officer, CTOs, which is chief technology officer. So I would love to see way more of that and I know there are some um I was having this debate with a friend of mine there are some people who are black in tech in senior positions I think I read about a woman at Microsoft who's like the head of gaming or something but I I would love for us to hear more about them um and you know they also can publicize themselves a bit more because it does encourage um, those who are coming up the ranks a little bit more. So I, I would love for us not to be hidden, but actually very exposed and, and out there. This part made me really think about the importance of representation and what that can do for other people. Because the truth is, if you don't see anyone who looks like you or who has the same history or background as you, experiencing certain success or if you don't see them in certain roles or positions there is this psychological or subconscious element that might lead you to believe that that role that amount of success that position isn't meant for you and that's especially the case when it's coupled with a society that already tells you that certain things aren't meant for you or a society that already tells you that you're not good enough. So that's really why I think representation is so important because it is often that light bulb moment for the onlooker where they realize that 
something that they may have never seen themselves in is possible for them. You said that tech companies in general have are apprehensive about publishing numbers about their um, talent. Why do you think that is? Because that apprehension can really breed some distrustfulness on the outside, um, some cynicism as to why they're apprehensive. Do you think it's to cover themselves or is it more of a logistical reason? Um, it's probably a bit of both, to be honest. I, I'm not really well-versed with all the laws in this country, but I know, you know, race is complex. It's a construct. So some people might not identify as black and, you know, I guess companies don't want to assume somebody is black if they're not identifying as black. I, I think there's a bunch of like logistical reasons, but more so, which I think is more of a bigger reason is, um, you know, every so often there's always an article that comes out about tech companies and diversity. And then there's this big uproar. It happens kind of like, I would say every nine months, I'm witness this now. <laughs> oh, like there's well, always some, frequent. <laughs> yeah, there's always some like, I don't know, New York Times article or something that comes out, which is like, there's no diversity in tech. And then everyone gets outraged. Um, and so I think because they do come out so numbers are not moving as frequent right. there is probably apprehension of like okay we don't want to report again that we only have two percent black people um <laughs> because that is the same two percent we had two years ago or three years ago so um i but i think for me the number is not what i'm looking for it's the the secondary layer down, like like I said, where do those black people sit? Mm -hmm. In what roles? Because um, if all the black people that, that a company hires are only in diversity roles, I mean, black people can also do other things. Yes. We can also, and that is no shade to a diversity ro role. That is just more like we can, we're versatile. We can, there's great um, workforce, black workforce in any department or any um role so uh i think that's probably one of the biggest reasons why tech companies seem to be apprehensive about sharing those things um and then getting by the other logistical or maybe legal issues i think any company can get around those um it's just whether they're willing to yeah so. yeah no absolutely and to close this off what advice would you give to any black person who wants to break into the tech field or any person who's coming from an unorthodox background and wants to break into this field? So I would say um, for anyone who does want to work in tech, I would see what you're good at now. Like take an honest uh, analysis of yourself and the skills that you have, the skills that you have that come naturally, the skills that you know you could work on a bit more and improve, and then the, the gap in your skills that you don't have and I would try to you know tweak the resume to find a role within tech so for me I knew my gap in technical skills was way too large I wasn't going to become an engineer overnight so I looked at other roles and that's where I landed on product manager but there's like you said at the top of this there's plenty of roles in in tech it's just um you know, it requires a bit of digging. And the good thing is everything is there on the internet. So I would say that would be step one. And then, you know, my route was an MBA and, and having those contacts, but you can definitely get into tech without an MBA. I feel like that's a false narrative. Like that's the only way you can get in. No, you can get in through your contacts. And I, I would also say, you know, I know a lot of people might want to work at the big companies, but startup companies can really give you a lot of value and a lot of experience. Um, I mentioned before I moved to the US, I actually did work at a startup who was a tech company, a small startup tech company. And that's where I learned a lot of um, the the core experiences before, you know, the glossy big companies and 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 having different teams that do different things, I was used to doing everything because that's the startup life. So 
I think it does give you more value um, sometimes when you can work in a startup environment as well. But just the encouragement I would give to anyone is just to keep going um, and to know that, yeah, it may feel risky, but risk is a muscle. And so if you don't exercise it and you don't use it, then, um, you know, it won't materialize. And so um, I would just encourage people not to feel defeated, especially when people don't look like us when you go to the interviews or when you go to these companies, but you can be the difference and then add more, you know? So sometimes that's what a company needs, the difference. A lot of what you covered here will be inspirational to anyone listening and I hope that this motivates some people to really take that step that they may have been afraid to do, um, whatever field they're in. And lastly, do you have any point of contact or information, contact information that you'd like um, to give out to anyone who's listening for them to connect to you? Yeah, sure. Um, I tend to talk a lot about, you know, the everyday life of a product manager and living in um, the Bay Area on my Instagram, um, which is underscore Miss Tosin, M-I-S-S-T-O-S-I-N. And honestly, people have reached out to me on there and I'm I'm happy to like keep the conversation going. So uh, yeah, I would, I would love to keep talking about, you know, not just the working in tech portion, but investing in tech and being a startup uh, early stage investor and you know everything pertaining to it because we need we need black folk in all of it <laughs> every aspect so happy to speak there yep I'm with it I'm with it well I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and I hope you enjoyed it so much that you're gonna follow this podcast on the platform you're listening in on um, I also want to mention that in the description for this podcast, you'll find a link tree link that will um, provide the link to the Twitter account, the Instagram account, and also the application form if you want to be a guest on the podcast. You can also contact me personally at tpstoriespodcast at gmail.com. That email will also be in the description box. And I think that's about it. I'm looking forward to more conversations that are as insightful as this one. And I hope you are too. So I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.